The Fanboy, episode 112. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is episode 112 of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? It has been a long time since I've seen you guys, and uh, I just want you to know that I think we're going back to a weekly model here, because your boy's got nothing but time and energy on his hands. You know, originally when I had to put this show on the back burners because I was very burnt out, I had a lot of different things that I was juggling at the same time. I had my DJ career. I had the Revenge of the Fans website to run. I was lead singing in a band that was playing out in the city very often and preparing to record an album and all that good stuff. And, uh, well, there's nothing quite like a pandemic to clear your schedule. So uh, I've got plenty of time and plenty to say. And this week's episode, this return, so to speak, is brought to you by... My green screen. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm going to be investing on uh, making this a more visually appealing show. So for those of you who like to watch it on YouTube rather than listen to it as a podcast, you're going to have some fun stuff to watch as I kind of explore uh, all of the fun I can have now that I've got, you know, green screens and lighting and microphones and things all set up in a home studio in my garage. Uh, I'm kind of going to have a lot of fun making this show more of a uh, more of a show, if you will. So uh, looking forward to doing that, looking forward to kind of hitting the ground running. And uh, let's let's do that. Let's hit the ground running. Let's talk about the main reason that to me, this episode became very urgent to record. And that is Marvel's up to some pretty exciting stuff right now. And it fascinates me. Because in a lot of ways, it mirrors the direction that DC is going. And yet, there are a few surprises or a few breadcrumbs that I'm following that I'm not sure everyone else is. So let's talk about it, shall we? In the last few weeks, we've gotten some very, very interesting news regarding Spider-Man and regarding the concept of the multiverse. Remember, last year, they teased us with the thought of a multiverse entering the fray in Spider-Man Far From Home. Remember, it ended up just being uh, a fake-out by Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio, and there was no true multiverse in that Spider-Man sequel. But it looks like Marvel is actually going to deliver on the promise of that in its next phase of films. And now let's kind of, you know, let's kind of go step by step on the stuff that has me going, hmm. Because first of all, at the end of Far From Home, there was the very cool, the very sort of odd choice. At the time, it seemed odd, I should say. That the J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson, the, the, the version that we got to know and love during the original three Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, he showed up at the end of Far From Home. And it's like, What? How does Tom Holland get the same Jameson that Tobey Maguire got? You know, it, it was a peculiar thing, to say the least. But then, like three weeks ago, I want to say, they announced that Jamie Foxx's Electro, that's right, 
Jamie Foxx's Electro, the one from The Amazing Spider-Man 2, directed by Mark Webb and starring Andrew Garfield, that Electro is going to be in the third Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. Now, Fox has already assured us that he's not going to be blue and it's going to be a slight, uh, it's it's not going to be the same exact Electro that we've gotten to know and love already. Well, some of us knew and loved him. Most of us went, really? Is it Batman and Robin all over again? Is this Batman forever or is this a Spider-Man movie in 2017? Or was it 2016 at that time? I'm not even positive anymore, but let's see. Now this is going to bother me. I think it was 2015, wasn't it? I don't know. I'll fact check myself later. Right now, that's not what's important. What's important is that Jamie Foxx's Electro is going to be in Spider-Man 3. So that had me going, hmm, fascinating. So you have Jameson from the McGuire franchise. You have Electro from the Garfield franchise. And then last week, what did they announce? They announced that Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange was going to be showing up in this third Spider-Man movie. Now, that makes things really interesting, because what's the name of the next Doctor Strange movie? And we know how Marvel likes to have their films kind of build to and lead into one another. So what is the next Doctor Strange movie? It's Doctor Strange Into the Multiverse of Madness. So you have a Doctor Strange that's about to be exploring the multiverse in a big way in his movie showing up in Spider-Man 3. And who's directing Doctor Strange into the multiverse of madness? Sam freaking Raimi. I feel like people forget about that because, I mean, honestly, it, it almost feels like it can't be true. Because Marvel doesn't really do that typically. You know, they're not known for hiring like very well-known, very established filmmakers, let alone filmmakers who worked on previous iterations of these characters. So Sam Raimi is returning to the world of Marvel. And that is a huge deal in and of itself that I don't think gets enough fanfare. Like when I talk to other movie geeks about this, a lot of them forget that Raimi is the one giving us the second Doctor Strange movie. And that's huge because, listen, prior to 2002, DC owned the comic book movie genre. You know, from 78 to 87, we got four Superman movies, Pretty much nothing on the Marvel front that wasn't some sort of direct-to-video nonsense. Then from 89 to 97, we got four Batman movies. Again, there were some Marvel films, but again, it was like straight-to-video Captain America type stuff. So for the first 22 years, it was all DC. You know, 22 years following Christopher Reeve's Superman movies. It was all DC all the time. And then, yes, Marvel released Blade. You know, there there was the Blade movies. There was the first X-Men. And those were all pretty good hits. But Blade was more underground. And X-Men didn't really explode until it was time for X2. When X2 came out, I think that's really when the X-Men IP became a much bigger deal. But before that, because X2, I believe, came out in 03 or 04. In 02... When Raimi gave us the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire, he handed Marvel their first huge crossover, mainstream, tentpole, comic book movie victory. 
And each of the subsequent sequels for those Raimi movies were all these huge event films. They were, ba- you know, entire movie slates were kind of built around their proximity to Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3. And I remember going to those theaters. I remember the energy at, in those movie theaters watching the Spider-Man movies. It was a huge event. So for the first time, Marvel got its taste at true cinematic box office glory through Sam Raimi. And also Raimi, in a lot of ways, set sort of the, the what do you, what, what should we call it? We should call it, you know, the, 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 the formula to an extent that the Marvel Cinematic Universe still uses to this day. Because you have the action, you have the comedy, you have the Easter eggs, and you have something that doesn't take itself insanely seriously, but that does honor the source material. So Marvel has been building upon what Raimi gave us 18 years ago, and now Raimi himself is going to be directing another Marvel movie. And the star of his Marvel movie is going to be showing up in a Spider-Man movie. So right now, it, it, it strikes me as a very, very strong possibility that Fandom Wire's recent rumor is true, in case that confuses you. Uh, I'll recap. Fandom Wire recently reported that both Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield were going to be showing up in Spider-Man 3 with Tom Holland. And they also apparently have some story details where one of the reasons why Jamie Foxx's Electro is returning is because in the third act, Spider-Man is going to encounter villains from across his entire cinematic history. So if we're going to have Tobey Maguire back, if we're going to have Andrew Garfield back, if we're going to have other villains from the original trilogy show up played by their original actors, I mean, things are about to get really freaking insane over on the Marvel front. And it's funny, right? Because most of this year, you know, we've been talking about how DC is leaning very heavily into the multiverse concept. And we've been freaking out over the fact that Michael Keaton is returning to Batman, you know, and that Ben Affleck is going to get a chance to play Batman again in the Flashpoint movie. And that the Flashpoint movie itself, which might just be called The Flash, but it is basically in a, in a loose way adapting the Flashpoint story and pushing DC full steam ahead into the multiverse. So we, you know, there's been a lot of chatter about that. But now in these last couple of weeks, it's starting to become clear that Marvel is moving in a very similar direction. And the part that pisses me off is that they're going to get there before DC does. I, you know, it, it, it kills me. It never fails to kill me that Warner Brothers and DC will always create or give off the impression that they're playing catch up, that they are trying to mimic or build upon what Marvel is doing when we know they're not. But it's just bad timing or poor planning or whatever you want to call it. But right. Like, first of all. They beat us to a shared universe, which now DC isn't even really sure they really want to do, which is one of the reasons why the multiverse came up for them. But they beat us to a big, successful shared universe. Then they also beat us 
to the big team-up movie, right? Because we got two Avengers movies before we ever got a Justice League, and we know that there's going to be more Avengers stuff on the way, while the Justice League, as we know it, is kind of back on the shelf, and who knows when DC is going to get back to another one of those team-ups. So they built us to the shared universe, they built us to the big seismic team-up, they, they got to Thanos before we got to Darkseid, they're going to get their Eternals movie out, before we get our uh, the new gods movie out, and now, and this is the one that I'm like, I can can I can't believe this. If they get Tobey Maguire, then in a way they're gonna beat us to Keaton returning as Batman, because right now if if the release dates hold up, and these production timelines all hold up, we're looking at a Spider-Man movie that comes out in December of 2021, followed by a Doctor Strange sequel that comes out three months later. And in both of those movies, we're going to be leaning very heavily on the multiverse concept, and we're going to be bringing back previous iterations of these characters played by their iconic original actors. So Marvel's going to be doing that over the course of three months between December and March at the end of 2021. And then we're going to get that Flash movie three months after that in June of 2022. So that means that when Michael Keaton returns as Batman, it's actually going to have a little bit of that been there, done that, if Spider-Man is able to bring Tobey Maguire back to the role. And that just chaps my ass in a big way. It really does. Because here we go. DC has all of these really exciting plans and all of these things that I think are going to help basically bring the franchise to a whole new, you know, uh, level. But Marvel's going to get there before of us. Before of us? Before us in the months leading up to the release of Flash. So I just hope that there isn't a big, like, been there, done that sort of feeling when we get to Flashpoint. Because it really is something that Marvel is working on things that are very similar to what DC is working on. And by the way, I'm not trying to like imply some sort of conspiracy, like James Gunn is leaking secrets to Kevin Feige or all that kind of stuff that people love to get very into the weeds about. I just think it's a, you know, a, a crappy coincidence I think it's a crappy coincidence that both franchises are heading in a particular direction, but Marvel's going to get there first. But it is what it is. All I know is if the Spider-Man threequel and Doctor Strange can live up to their very unique potential promise, this is going to be a very... 2022 is going to be a fascinating year. Because remember, too, like... Sam Raimi is not your typical Marvel director. You know, Kevin Feige loves to bring in like young up and comers, people who he can kind of get to play ball with what he wants to do. Right. Because he, as the producer, is really kind of in charge when it comes to Marvel Studios. It's not like a filmmaker driven studio where they give the director their script and their budget and their locations and everything they need and then just trust them to go make their movie. Kind of like what Warner Brothers is doing with Matt Reeves right now, which is super exciting. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But not only uh, Warner Brothers does that, Marvel doesn't. And yet you don't hire a guy like Sam Raimi because you want a good soldier. 
or because you want a, a yes man who's just going to do whatever you want and is not going to try to put their own creative flourishes into this thing. You hire Sam Raimi to make a Sam Raimi movie. And here you have a guy with a horror background and a Marvel background doing a supernatural Doctor Strange movie. So to me, like the, the, the possibilities of what could be happening across Spider-Man 3 and Doctor Strange 2, you know, there's a lot of potential there and a lot of really exciting storytelling avenues. And if they're trying to get Tobey Maguire back, having Sam Raimi in the mix, I'm sure is going to kind of help him make that decision to come back and put on the red and blue tights again, if he does decide to do that, you know. But I really just wanted to touch on that. I wanted to touch on the fact that Marvel is heading into the multiverse. They're bringing back previous actors in much the same way that DC is going to do it. And I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> to me, it's like, on the one hand, it's exciting. On the other hand, I kind of wish DC would be the only one doing that. So that when Michael Keaton shows up as Batman again, the world loses its mind. As opposed to what it might be, where it just comes off like, oh, look, DC's trying to do what Marvel did. You know, they, Marvel got back McGuire. They got back Keaton. Huh, all right, let's see what happens next. You know, I just... I hope that Marvel doesn't basically steal the thunder of where DC is headed. Because I'm still very excited about where DC is headed. But it's, it's just very interesting to me that we're, both franchises are heading in like the same direction over the course of the same like six-month window of movie releases. So we'll see how that plays out. Either way, I'm very intrigued to have Electro back. I'm very intrigued to see how or if they acknowledge, you know, that this is the same J. Jonah Jameson that Tobey Maguire dealt with. Do they get Maguire back? In what capacity will Keaton be used in the Flashpoint movie? You know, all of this stuff with the multiverse, you know, it, it's, it's such a fascinating place to be as a fan. And as a commentator, as someone who, who tries to keep up on the trends and on what audiences are buying and what they're not buying and all that sort of stuff, it's going to be really interesting to see how both franchises unfold these, you know, storytelling mechanisms and who pulls it off better. Are they able to, you know, get the mainstream audience to buy into this multiverse concept or is Marvel going to do it and it's just going to confuse the hell out of everyone and then when DC does it it's going to be more of the same you know I, I don't know it's going to be very interesting to sort of figure out where things are headed and Sony I'm sure is very intrigued by all this too because remember they've been trying to get this whole you know Spider-Verse thing going for years with the Into the Spider-Verse animated film now they're going to basically bring that same idea to the live action, which gives them a lot of creative leeway. Because it means that even if they were to decide, you know what, we're going to leave the Tom Holland Spider-Man as part of the MCU. Now that you've introduced that there's a million Peter Parkers out there, you have options. You could cast an all new Peter Parker. You could... Bring back Andrew Garfield, who loved being the character. And there was a lot of fans who just felt like, you know, he was a great Spider-Man who was in some mediocre Spider-Man movies. 
If they could put Andrew Garfield into some good Spider-Man movies and maybe have him be the one who faces Tom Hardy's Venom and Woody Harrelson's Carnage, I wonder how that would go over. Regardless, kind of ha- you know, blowing open the doors here and saying that all of these other versions of the characters exist really gives Sony the ultimate way to basically move into their own Spider-Man realm after this third Spider-Man movie. Whether they want to use Holland or not, by establishing this whole thing about the infinite Earths and how many Spider-Man there are and how many Electros and how many, you know, there are, they could very easily have a whole other Spider-Man ready to go moving forward after that. Or they could bring in Holland. The point is, the possibilities are now endless. So I'm sure Sony is very excited that Marvel has decided to actually, you know, follow through on the multiverse concept. Because, you know, they did tease it last year. They teased it last year in Spider-Man Far From Home and the promotional materials. And, you know, and as part of the, the plot where Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio is trying to confuse Peter Parker, you know, they, they brought up the multiverse, but it was all a bait and switch. They did not deliver. And now... They're going to in the next Spider-Man movie. And I mean, you know, I'm sure Sony's very happy about that. And while this whole subject of, you know, Marvel's into moving into the multiverse and possibly beating DC to the punch on several cool little things, uh, while that was the main thing I wanted to discuss today... Uh, There were some topics sent in by you guys, by listeners, when you heard that I was going to be recording a fanboy this week. So let's go ahead and get to those, shall we? So first of all, Isaac Wolf, my my good friend from very distant land, uh, asked me to comment on the Fat Man trailer. Uh, What is happening? Uh, For those of you who haven't seen it, Fat Man is this like action thriller sort of film with uh, Mel Gibson as Santa Claus and Walter Goggins as the hitman who's there to kill him, who's trying to kill Santa Claus. <laughs> and it's like a, a dark, grown up adult take on Santa. And the trailer arrived last week, and people are just like, What did I just see? And honestly, I mean, that's how I feel too. Uh, I saw the trailer for you, Isaac. Uh, It looks like it could be a pretty darn fun, interesting time. I'm very curious how audiences are going to take to it. But I got to tell you, just for me personally, I'm in. I will check out Fat Man. Uh, First of all, I love, you know, uh, the cast is good. The concept is good. The tone is out of its mind. And I'm therefore very intrigued. I'm very curious about Fat Man. Have you guys seen the Fat Man trailer? What do you think? Let me know. Uh, because, I don't know, I think it looks kind of cool. I know people have you know, very complicated feelings about Mel Gibson after certain falls from graces that he's had in these last, you know, 15 or so years. But as, a, as an actor, I still think he could bring the goods. And in this sort of role, because he's always had a little bit of like a dark humor about him, uh, I could totally see him having a lot of fun being a uh, grizzled, hardened, angry version of Kris Kringle. So, uh, yeah, I'm very, very intrigued about Fat Man. Isaac, uh, I trust that you are as well. 
And uh, yeah, if anyone else out there has any strong opinions about Fat Man, please let me know. Uh, now, this next one is a little more, uh, a little more in depth. Uh, Christo Kamburov, if that's how you say it. Christo, if, if I'm saying your name correctly or incorrectly, please be sure to let me know. But Christo, like many of us, is worried about what's going on with movie theaters. What's going to happen to the cinematic experience as we know it? You know, he asked some questions about the fact that, look, a lot of movies keep getting delayed and pushed from 2020 into 2021. Certain films are jumping from 2021 to 2022. And then just a few days ago, Disney announced a renewed focus on you know, shifting everything towards the streaming model. So right now, if you're a fan of going to movie theaters, things look very dodgy. And something that Christo brought up is, you know, th th there's been talk possibly of movie studios themselves buying movie theater chains and keeping the theatrical model open in that way. Since we know that certain companies like Regal is shutting down all of their American theaters and, you know, it's a pretty dodgy time to be a theater chain owner. And Christo wanted me to touch on that because, you know, Tenet's numbers did not inspire a lot of goodwill about trying to get people to theaters at a time like this. And even Patty Jenkins is starting to sound awfully skeptical that Wonder Woman 84 is going to arrive in time for Christmas for its Christmas of 2020 release window. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, with regard to the idea of studios buying theaters, uh, they do not seem interested in that right now. You know, Deadline got some fresh quotes from the folks who run uh, Universal and Warner Brothers. We're talking about Donna Langley and Ann Sarnoff, who were both recently at a Milken Institute global conference, conference virtual panel about COVID-19's impact on Hollywood. And, you know, and they were asked if they had any interest in buying theaters or buying theater chains. And they both basically laughed, if that tells you anything. Uh, you know, Langley said, you know, we have no plans to do that currently. And Sarnoff said, we have no plans either. So it doesn't look like we can count on movie theater, you know, movie studios buying theaters in an effort to try to keep that alive. On the contrary, I think a lot of them are going to do what Disney's doing now. Now, let's clarify that for a second, because a lot of people took what Disney announced as sort of confirmation that they're going to be shifting almost exclusively to streaming or that streaming really is their primary focus. That doesn't seem to be the case based on what I've read up on. It's more so that they're going to be producing content the way that they do and then assessing the best way to bring it to consumers. So that means certain things will get a theatrical model. Certain things will get a Disney Plus release. Some things will get a Disney Plus with a premium ticket release. You know, we're like, you know, it's not going to be available for free if you have Disney Plus, but you'll have to pay, you know, the enhanced ticket price for X amount of weeks before now it becomes available on the uh, on the actual mainline service. So it wasn't that they're looking to basically just become a streaming company, but now they seem to be working harder to have a more open approach 
Because right now, bringing everything direct to consumers, while consumers are all basically at home all the time and being unwilling to go to places like movie theaters to enjoy their work, um, Disney is now basically going to be reassessing everything. Whenever they're producing a movie, now they're going to be thinking, which is the, you know, what is the best way to get this particular project to the masses? And we're just going to have to wait and see. But the thing is, this isn't really all that new. You know, I mean, I remember back in 2006 when Steven Soderbergh released the film, you know, the, the director of the Oceans movies and lots of other great stuff. Steven Soderbergh is one of my favorites. He released a film called Bubble. And Bubble was a novel thing in 2006 because it released both on demand and in theaters at, on the same day and date. And it was Soderbergh's way of trying to say, like, listen, you know, this is the future of Hollywood. The theatrical, the theater going experience is going away and people want to have the option to just watch things from home. And that was 14 years ago, 14 years ago. And, you know, we've been going this way for a while. We've been having conversations about our theater is going to last for the last like four years because the, the theatrical experience has been sort of on the way out. As people get bigger TVs and nicer sound systems and enjoy the ability to be able to pause and go to the bathroom and enjoy the ability to not have to worry about the noisy kids sitting three rows behind you or the couple in front of you who's on their cell phones while you're trying to watch a movie. You know, there's lots of people who just don't really enjoy going to theaters anymore. And... All of these studios and, and, and companies have been basically building towards the type of situation where they completely skip the theater and theater will become more of a niche sort of market. And that's where, you know, that, that's really what I want to say to folks who are worried about whether or not theaters are going to survive. Um, I think it's up to us. I think once things get back to normal, it's going to be up to us to get to theaters and support our movies in theaters if we want theaters to exist moving forward. If when this pandemic ends, the yeah, and, and, and there's a vaccine and now, you know, COVID is strictly in our rearview mirror. If people are still just hesitant about going to theaters, I think they're going away. Or I think we're, there's going to be a very limited amount of theaters in any given city. And you're going to have to make a special effort to get to one of those theaters to see a movie if you really covet the theatrical experience. You know, I think that just it, it's going to be on us as fans to decide what the future looks like. Because remember, the, the, the studios have no nostalgia. They don't care about, oh, we must preserve the theatrical experience. It's important. No, all they care about is making money and putting money in the pockets of their shareholders. And if they decide, if they, you know, if, if the research and the results all point to the fact that people would rather just order stuff at home and they're not going to theaters, we're just that that's what's going to happen. They have no 
inclination or desire to rescue movie theaters unless movie theaters prove themselves to be a profitable thing to have as part of the distribution model. And right now, their value has been decreasing steadily for years. So if you've been worried about the future of the movie theater going experience, it's basically up to you to save it. When this pandemic is over, go see every and any and every movie you have an interest in. Go buy a ticket and see it in theaters because that's what's going to decide what happens in the future. Because here's the thing, too. When I look at the pandemic, when I look at all these businesses that are closing, you know, I live I live in New York City and there's lots of talk about, will New York ever be able to bounce back? So many businesses are being shuttered or going bankrupt. There's people moving away from the big city. There's so many restaurants going away. You know, everything that involves people congregating is disappearing. And people are very worried about what does this mean for the future of the city? What does this mean for the future of the restaurant business? What does this mean for all of these stores that are going out of business? See, to me, I look at it a little differently. And maybe this is naive of me. But the way I see it, all of this hardship that's being created by the pandemic is going to impact the current set of owners for all of these types of businesses. They're all going to either have to reinvent how they do business or shut their doors and leave that industry entirely. But that is a sad end to the current way of things, right? But I also think that means that there's also going to be a new beginning. There's going to be a whole new generation of venture capitalists, people with money, people with ideas who are now going to take over all these spaces. You know, here in New York, for example, I'm used to the fact that certain blocks in Manhattan look different every few years because three new restaurants moved in and took over the three locations of the restaurants that were currently there. Or this clothing store is now that clothing store. You know, there's always like a changeover in Manhattan. There's always like a cycle of the old bosses are gone. And now the new bosses come in and they take over those spaces. And the way I think that applies here is yes. Yeah, some of the chains that we know are, might be gone forever. But that doesn't mean that a new ownership or a new chain or a new thing can't rise up in its place. Because all these spaces are going to still exist. There's still going to be actual physical movie theaters all over your, you know, all over your average city. But they're going to need someone new to sort of pay the bills and fill it with movie theater, you know, fill it with movies and audience members. So I think there's a possibility that there will be a whole new wave of like indie film owners, indie theater owners. And maybe, maybe this is all a good thing. Maybe we're going to lose having all of these big corporate conglomerates controlling what the movie theaters show us. Now it'll be individuals deciding again. It'll be more of like an indie atmosphere, you know, but either way, I guess my point is, and I'm sorry if it hasn't been clear is that the current chains are likely to either go away forever or look very different. But that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a whole influx of new 
movie theater chains and new basic models for what the movie theater, you know, experience could and should be, you know, because right now it doesn't look like studios are looking to try to bail out the theater industry. It doesn't look like we should expect anyone to do that. What we can expect is things to change drastically. And then from those ashes will rise new owners with new ideas and new ways of making money. So who knows? Theaters as we know them are going to be gone or vastly altered soon. But that could lead way to some very exciting changes in the way that we go to theaters and the way we experience movies. And I personally am kind of with it. I'm very curious to see how it goes. But, you know, that's, that's what I think is going on with movie theaters. Crystal. Up next, we got Trey Jackson. How you doing, Trey? Long time no talk. Uh, Trey asked, do you think at this point Warner Brothers might be more open to a Superman series on HBO Max rather than a movie? What approach do you think would be better for getting Superman back where he belongs in terms of audience investment? Thanks for asking me that, Trey. Um, it's, it's an interesting question because if one of the issues that the folks making the decisions at DC, if one of the issues that they have with Superman is that they think audiences have a hard time understanding him or that he's been written off as a sort of one-dimensional character and they have a hard time getting people to want to invest in him, then obviously a TV series would be a pretty great way to change that. Because in a TV series where you could do these long sort of deep dives on a character and really pull back all the layers and levels of who that character is, you know, a TV series really would seem to be like the perfect platform for getting Superman back out to the masses. But then, of course, it gets complicated by the fact that the Arrowverse is going to have its own Superman and Lois show. So the question then becomes... Do we have two concurrent Superman live-action TV series? One on the CW and one on HBO Max? I don't think so. I don't think Warner Brothers would ever agree to do something like that, even with this you know, sort of wide-open multiverse conceit that they're leaning so heavily into. I don't think that there's any real way that they would have two Superman shows on at once, which is a shame. Because again, I do think that a really well-made series, something with an attention to detail and a production value that's on the level of, you know, the Watchmen series or even the boys. I finally got to watch season one and two of the boys. And, you know, if, if the people who made those kinds of shows could step up and do a Superman series, I'm sure they could make Superman really relevant really quickly get you know damon lindelof and whatever the whoever it was uh what was his name i'm not going to look it up right now but the boys showrunner you know you get superman in the hands of someone like that and i think they could absolutely find a way to have him connect with a much wider more contemporary more uh, valued demographic as warner brothers in dc would surely like to have but unfortunately we're already getting a superman series do I think that HBO Max could be a boon? Absolutely. It could be helpful. 
But I think it would have to be like a mini series or like a standalone movie event where you get Brandon Routh or you get Henry Cavill to come tell, you know, come do a very seminal Superman story. Do I think they could do that and do that in theaters? Sure. Of course I do. But right now, everything with theaters is kind of up in the air. So all of my thought process right now is HBO Max. So could a Superman movie or miniseries on HBO Max be a smart call? And I, I do think it can be. And I don't think that they have to work way too hard to try and reinvent who or what Superman is. Because I had a pretty cool experience this past summer with my own kids, kind of using them as sort of like a, a test audience for the classic Superman. And I got to tell you, the results are very exciting because I've basically been like saving Superman for now, you know, for years. I, I, I've been showing my kids all kinds of awesome movies over the last few years. But Superman in particular, I've kind of kept close to the vest. I wanted them to be old enough to really fully enjoy and appreciate the character. And I didn't want to risk blowing it on a version of the character that might not resonate, you know. But now my, my son is six, my daughter is nine, and we basically had like a summer of Superman as part of our uh, efforts to, to keep things exciting and wonderful here at home while we're basically living in quarantine. So we've been having these great movie nights and I've been introducing them to all kinds of great stuff. And one of the things was Superman. So I was very nervous when it was time to show them Superman, the movie, which was really that that's how I was going to begin this journey. My plan was to do Superman, the movie into Superman two, into Superman returns. And then from there shift into man of steel, maybe BVS and then do justice league. And throughout that, also get Superman, the animated series going. And I really kind of had a whole Superman education in mind for what I was going to do with my kids. But meanwhile, step one was making me really nervous. Because listen, these kids have seen everything. These kids have, have seen the last 12 years of Marvel movies. They've seen Star Wars movies. They've seen, I mean, they even saw the theatrical cut of Justice League. Like these kids have seen all kinds of modern blockbusters. So in my mind, how is this movie from 1978 with very dated special effects and a much more like classic sort of approach to storytelling? Like, how are my kids going to take to that? And I was secretly worried they were going to be bored and it was going to crush my soul forever that my kids basically rejected the movie that uh, got me into all this stuff to begin with, you know? But... It's pretty amazing, guys. It's pretty amazing, you know, because I should probably also mention, like when we do a movie night here at Casa Robles, we do it right. You know, we turn off every light in the house. We close all the shades. We turn the Bose sound bar way up high. I make bowls of fresh popcorn with butter. I melt myself and salt. I apply myself in layers all throughout the, the, the bowls. And you know, we have our drinks and we have our movie candies that I buy from outside. And, you know, we, we treat movie night like it's a big to do. It's a big deal. We turn our living room into a movie theater. 
So, you know, and I, I had already sort of established that, you know, we had done like the eight Harry Potter movies and the we did three Pirates of the Caribbean movies in this way. And now it was time for Superman. And I gave them a little bit of a background. I tried to explain, you know, that this film came out at a time where there weren't superhero movies. There weren't comic book movies. And when there was like superhero stuff, it was all kind of like goofy and childish, like Batman and Robin. And I showed them a little bit of the 60s, you know, Batman and Robin series. So I'm like, you know, superheroes didn't used to be taken as seriously. You know, right now there's a new superhero in theaters every few months. But there was a time when it just, it didn't happen. And this movie you're about to watch is really considered like the first ever superhero movie. And this really kind of set the blueprint for, you know, all the other movies to come. And, you know, I, I just kind of gave them a little bit about the historic significance of Superman the movie. And then that was it. You know, the lights came down. I pressed play and we were off to the races. And what was pretty great was they were gripped right from the start. Right from that opening with the little girl reading the comic book from 1938. And then the red curtains slide off to the side and we zoom. I'm getting goosebumps right now just talking about it. Because just as we start zooming into outer space and the John Williams theme kicks and you're in dun-dun-dun. Dun, 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 dun. And you start seeing the zooming like uh, letters and all that stuff. My son went, it's like we're flying. It's like outer space. That's so cool. He, he loved the letters, the zooming, really dated, old looking letters that I thought they were going to laugh at. He loved the, 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 the letters. And my daughter was just quiet. She was just there. And we're watching the movie. And they're getting emotionally invested in what happened on Krypton in the beginning. And they're getting emotionally invested on what happened on Smallville when, when Jonathan Kent dies of the heart attack. I thought my daughter was going to cry. Like, it was heavy. And I'm looking at my kids, and they're going on the journey, okay? And now we get to the point, and I, I, I've been thinking about this moment for months, because we get to the moment now where we're going to see Clark turn into Superman to do the helicopter rescue. And we haven't seen him really in the suit. You know, there was the one thing at the end of the Fortress of Solitude sequence where he flies towards the camera, which is amazing. But, you know, we haven't actually seen like the traditional thing where a situation arises and Clark must spring to action. And then we get the shirt rip. You know, my, my kids ne had never gone through that. Okay. But this is such a testament, by the way, to how strong the Superman mythology is that even kids who don't necessarily like didn't grow up on it, they understand what's going on. And what I mean by that is this. The helicopter sequence starts and Lois's helicopter suddenly is now lurching over the side of the building. And mind you, that is shot in a very intense way. It's not like a cutesy, like, oh, damsel in distress. I hope somebody rescues her. Like Margot Kidder is screaming for her life, guttural, primal screams for her survival, dangling from the helicopter. And the fire department's arriving and the people are congregating on the sidewalk, looking up at the, at the helicopter. You know, it's a very gripping moment. And Clark comes out and he, 
he picks the hat up off the floor and my daughter turns to me. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional, but she turns to me quietly and says, this is a job for Superman. Um, when my daughter said that, and this is a kid who did not grow up on this mythology at all, but she, and she didn't say it like tongue in cheek. She like, she got it. And she said, this is a job for Superman. And then Clark runs across the street and rips the shirt open, which by the way, I just noticed coincidentally, I'm wearing my, this is a job for Superman shirt. Maybe it wasn't unconscious. Maybe it was a subconscious decision to do this. But um, anyway, when he rips the shirt open and Superman saves Lois, like the smile on my daughter's face, like you couldn't, uh, it was amazing. And now, you know, and it's a long movie too. It's two and a half hours. So there's still like another hour and 45 minutes of movie after that scene happens. So I'm still thinking like, okay, this, you know, we were off to a great start. But are, is this going to sustain them? And especially because there's no big boss fight at the end. You know, we're not going to see Superman tussle with another alien baddie at the end. Like, you know, and they're used to the big third act, explosive, action-packed sequence. And granted, there is action. But it's a, it's a very different kind of thing because it's more Superman saving the world. And it, it just my kids' responses did not disappoint at any stage of any of this because my daughter looked horrified as the earthquake is happening where the nuke hits the San Andreas Fault and, and it, you know, there's all this chaos happening. My daughter looked nervous. My son, like, cuddled up against me. It was like they were totally caught. And then Lois dies. You know, I think that's something that people overlook. People love to talk about the Donner, Reeve, Superman movies as if they were just this cutesy, kitty, childish, no stakes. Like, no, that's all a bunch of nonsense. There's a lot of stuff in that film that is rather mature and rather unexpected for the type of movie you think you're going to watch. And my kids watched Lois die. And I saw my daughter's eyes get very shiny as she's like, how can this be happening? I thought Superman and Lois are supposed to be together and she's dying in the first movie. Like I, I saw her going through that. And then when Superman leaves, yeah, he, he has that emotional cry and flies to outer space and then starts to reverse time. I didn't say anything because again, I know it's kind of a hokey thing that people make fun of now. But I'm like, let me just see. I'm, I'm going to let them react the way you see if they know what's going on. And my son goes, he's turning back time. I'm like, wow. So he gets it and he doesn't think it's stupid. And my daughter got it, too. And she and she and she got excited because like it, it dawned on her. This is how he's going to save Lois. He's going to you know reverse time and get to her in time this time. And then the final thing was when the movie's over and now, you know, Superman flies towards the screen and he smiles at you and he exits. The second the credits start, my son turns to me and goes, are there more of those? Are there more Superman movies? And it was like, yes, son, there's a lot more. <laughs> um, so it was it was a great 
introduction, really, of Superman to two kids who've seen and are still watching all of this very contemporary entertainment. And they bought it hook, line, and sinker. They now love Superman. We went on to watch two. We went on to watch Returns. We went on to begin Superman, the animated series. My son now plays with his Superman action figures all the time. And he hums when he's playing with his toys. I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And in terms of the overarching plan, now we are up to the Man of Steel portion of things. But first, we have to finish Star Wars. Because that's something we did too amidst all this, is we've gone and shown them all the Star Wars movies from Episode 1, and now we're about to do Episode 9 tonight. Because Friday night is movie night at Casa Robles. So after we do Rise of Skywalker, up next will be Man of Steel. So I'm very intrigued now, now that they've gotten to know Superman and not just one version, but two versions and played by multiple actors. You know, they've seen Christopher Reeve. They've seen Brandon Routh. They've heard Tim Daly in the animated series. Now they're going to get to know another version of Superman. And I'm very curious how they take to it. And once again, I'm not giving, I'm not feeding them any emotions on it. I'm not trying to get them to feel the way I feel about things. Because on the contrary, I'm trying to keep them neutral. Like when I brought up Man of Steel the other day around my wife, she was already set to say, but wait, I thought you didn't like that one. And before she could get to the didn't like part, I went, I stopped her. I didn't want the kids to hear that. And I pulled her aside. I was literally, I'm like, I don't want them to know what I think of the movie. I just want them to experience it for themselves. You know, and I even told her, I mean, let's be let, let's be real here, Kristen. You've never seen Man of Steel. Your opinions on that movie are based on my bitching about them when I saw the when I saw it back in 2013. You know, her only real experience with Henry Cavill's Superman is me talking about the big missed opportunity of it. So I'm like, I want you to go into this with an open mind. I want the kids to go into this with an open mind. So let's not bring any of my previous crap with us, any of my baggage. I want to leave that as far away as possible. And I want to see Man of Steel with all of you and see what kind of an experience it is. And I'm, and I'm intrigued to do that. I'm excited to do that because, listen, sometimes things evolve. You know, I remember I saw Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, like twice and walked away very eh. But then I saw it a third time with my kids this time. And I kind of experienced it through their eyes. I kind of experienced the story the way they were experiencing it. And I loved it a hell of a lot more. Suddenly, now I'm a huge fan of Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen with Man of Steel. But the point is, I'm setting up a special screening of it with my family, and I'll be sure to let you guys know what they end up thinking of, uh, of that version of Superman. But to get back to your question, Mr. Trey Jackson, um, you know, my experience, and this is totally subjective, and this is totally, you know, my experience with my kids, totally sort of circumstantial, totally just, you know, my own experience. My kids really gravitated towards just the traditional, standard, big, blue Boy Scout Superman. 
And to me, that's important because a lot of what's gone on in these last seven or eight years has been Warner Brothers trying to figure out, hmm, how do we make Superman click? The classic version doesn't work. People don't want that 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 you know, ever-loving good guy all the time. They they want him to have some darkness and some complexity and all this, you know. They've, they, they've tried really hard to sort of modernize Superman when I don't think they had to do that. I don't think they ever had to do that. And if my kid's response to the Reeve Superman and to the 90s Superman animated series are any indication... Kids nowadays, you know, this generation will happily embrace a classic Superman. So in terms of getting the audience to invest in him again, you just got to tell a story that, that, that keeps him pure, but puts the world or you know, makes the world around him complex and with all kinds of shades of gray and, you know, sociopolitical concerns and underpinning like that is the true secret in my mind you keep him pure you make the world around him impure and you could have a superman that audiences in 2020 or should i say 2021 or 2022 or 2023 uh will love so i'm very curious how that superman and lois series is going to work out um i'm not a big arrowverse guy so i don't have the utmost faith that it's going to do a lot of favors for the character. But I do think that if they were to make like a mini series for HBO max, that would be great. But at the very least make a movie that keeps the core values of the character front and center and puts him in a very contemporary, morally complex, modern world. And I think audiences will eat that stuff up. So, because, you know, to me, all the best entertainments out there, you know, they, they, how do I put it? <laughs> they reach past the confines of their genre. That's why Watchmen worked. That's why The Boys works. Because there's other levels and layers to it. So if you bring that level of storytelling to the Superman mythology while keeping him that true blue hero, I think that's really the, the that, that's all you really need to do. And, you know, I hope I answered your question, Trey, uh, because while the TV series would be great. We're already getting one. So all I really want is a movie or a miniseries produced by people who really get that you don't need to reinvent the wheel with Superman. You just need to put him in a modern setting and let him inspire. Because during these crappy times we're living in, it would kind of be nice to have a shining true blue example of heroism who always seems to know what the right thing to do is and can help guide us through these dark times, through these dark, uncertain times. I think that is the key to creating a Superman that is, you know, that connects with today's audience. So, um, yeah, that's my bit on that. And I think that's my time for today, everyone. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Fanboy. If you watched it, be sure to let me know what you think of the new sort of visual style if you watch it over on YouTube. If you're just listening, uh, you know, 
please keep downloading because I'm going to be back every week. Every week there will be a new audio version of this show for you to enjoy. If there are any tweaks to the format that you would like, let me know if there's something I could do to make the show uh, better for you. But either way, I'm glad to be back. I'm happy to have gotten to talk some geekiness with you. And until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. Adios.